0: Hello, welcome back to Take Orly. Uh This is our Neurology History Taking uh, podcast. I'm joined by Lucy Harris, ACP extraordinaire. Hello, Lucy. Hi there. Uh, we are on the QMC roof on a quite cold September day, so uh, apologies if you hear us chattering. Uh, so, Lucy, Neurology History Taking. We're going to go through uh, cardinal symptoms, pick up on some important bits and bobs not to miss, uh, talk about some red flags and some specific conditions as well
1: yes absolutely um really this is sort of a um a given historyve um, we've taken a neurological history and that really starts with um, again the consultation it always goes back to sort of the consultation and actually the fact that your history taking is one of the most important things that you could be spend time doing with the patient um, and at the end of your taking your history quite often you've actually got your diagnosis 80% of the time um, so it's really important that we have the accuracy as we go through taking a history with patients, um, and really that involves um, moving sort of from a novice um, perspective um, to become an expert by initially sort of exploring the presenting complaint um, in detail and then moving on to sort of think about the um, cardinal symptoms that we would need to explore within a neurological history. Um, and when you're becoming more advanced as you're moving through that you might um, explore those symptoms related to specific differentials and we'll talk about a few of those differences now but obviously it's quite broad um for the for the topic that we're covering today um and then once once you're really comfortable within that um, within that history taking that you'd be um uh thinking about the risk factors and we'll talk a little bit about red flags as we go through today um i suppose starting with a history is the presenting complaint really and it's really important to establish um, what the patient's symptoms are versus the signs that you might see on examination and how we describe those um, it's really important to use the right language um, when we're using descriptive language in our histories um, both describing them and presenting them back but also as we document them the symptom is what the patient says it is, and obviously, what we find on examination can be sometimes different from that. Um, so, for instance, a patient that complains of weakness and pins and needles in both their arms and hands may well examine that he has five out of five power um, and no sensory um, loss at all to his to his limbs. Um, so, it's really important to get that language right.
0: Cool. So, um, patient comes in with something which might be. Um, neurological uh and then we've got to think about our cardinal symptoms the things that we have to ask about so in previous podcasts when we've gone through other um history taking we've we've talked about the cardinal symptoms the things you must ask about so what are the things we're we're thinking about with neurology um
1: so i think um when we think of the more obvious ones, um, and certainly in terms of presentation, the more common presentations that we see. And from my experience working in an emergency department, one of the most common things I will see is headache, actually. Yeah. Um, and we know that sort of over 2,000 patients um, per 100,000 per year will come in with headaches um, through a GP consultations um, and more so in terms of ED, in terms of serious, um, serious headache. Um, so it's basing um, our cardinals sort of around... That will be one of the the main ones that we see. Um, Then we've got things like dizziness and vertigo, which obviously is another really common thing that I would see within my particular area of um, of working. Um, Patients might describe that they've got some changes to their sight, um, whether that be um, uh, blurring of the vision, double vision, um, and it might be specific areas of their vision that have become a problem, whether they've got loss of vision in in specific areas. Um, And they might complain of... um, Vertigo, So um, it's establishing um, establishing whether it's a dizziness that's causing them to feel um, lightheaded or if it's a dizziness that's making the room spin round. Um, speech problems is also one of the common ones that we potentially would see um, within the ED setting um, and most commonly part of um, the fast questions that we would ask under um, uh, with somebody who might be presenting with a stroke um, is a really important one to, to not miss. So speech um, problems as well whether that be slurred speech um um, or changes to their speech pattern as well um moving on to numbness um to the to the limbs so what patients may describe is that they've got a complete numb area but equally they may describe pins and needles um and thinking about if that's associated with any weakness at all to the limbs so um, if they feel like they've got a loss of power um Equally, it's important to ask about their coordination at that stage to think about if they have um, a loss of power or actually it's the coordination that they're trying to describe. And again, it's really trying to tease that information out from the patient once you've had um, a good open question in um, uh, part of your history, and then close it down to specific questions around that. Um, syncope... Um, again, a very, very, very <laughs> common symptom of presentation to, to lots of clinical areas, um, but we see many, many patients who attend with syncope, a, vari- a variety of causes in ED. Um, that may include a loss of consciousness, it may may not, um, uh, and it may include um, an element of amnesia um, as well, and it's um, established within your history, whether that's an anterior grade or retrograde amnesia. Um, Patients may present with confusion and be obviously confused. Equally, they may just complain that they're feeling muddled. Mm. Um, And um, I think I like to ask patients that, are you feeling your normal self? Do you feel slightly muddled? Do you feel pickled um, in your mind? Um, uh, Because actually, that's a really good way of establishing a bit of a rapport with the patient. And I have found that patients are really responsive to that and say, actually, I really don't feel my normal self and I feel a bit peculiar, um, even if they aren't demonstrating that they're actually confused at the time. Um, Seizure. Again, for an yeah. emergency department, um, presentations is um, incredibly common. And obviously, there's a variety of reasons why people might seize. Sure. Um, so important to ask about seizure. Um, and within that, it's quite important to get a collateral history as well, because sometimes the patients wouldn't actually recall that information for you. Um, and finally, tremor. Yeah. Um, so any changes to sort of the pattern of their movements or if they've noticed a particular tremor to one side of their body or both sides of their body um, is important to ask about. So in terms of... Um, uh, presentations. We spoke a little bit about um, headache being a very common um, presentation um, uh, for from a from a emergency department perspective, but also. GP perspective as well, um, actually strokes are a really common presentation, sadly, um, and the way that we manage strokes actually improves vastly over the last 20 years, Um, so um, that is something that would be a common presentation from a neurological perspective. Um, Shingles, also very, uh, very common, um, surprisingly so, um, and a consideration, and diabetic neuropathies um, are actually a fairly common presentation um, in some respects. Um, I've actually seen a woman who presented with um, some changes to her vision in her left eye um, with some on examination for some very, very obvious um, loss of motor function in terms of her eye movements um, and had a diabetic neuropathy diagnosed on her discharge. Um, So she was a really interesting patient with just quite an isolated nerve neuropathy um, as a result of her diabetes. Um, the less common ones and the ones that we probably need to think about and keep up bearing our minds because they're the ones that we might ignore or choose to um, overlook and get a bit of diagnostic closions on the more com- more common things um, would be things like our um, trigeminal neuralgias, our meningitis, um, multiple sclerosis, um, uh, myasthenia gravis. Um, they're all, you know, relatively... Um, rare presentations but the ones that you really wouldn't want to miss and they're worth reading around to sort of spot the clinical histories um, and the signs that you might see on examination as a result of those cool so in terms of traditional history um, and how um, we would navigate through a traditional history with a focus on neurological symptoms um We've emphasised the importance of of making sure that you're covering your cardinal symptoms. Um, There should be some um, recognition of some systemic symptoms as well um, that may present with neurological symptoms. Um, And when we think about somebody who presents with meningitis, um, we'd want to ask the cardinal symptoms of things like, have you had a rash? Have you been unwell in yourself recently? Any fevers? Do you have any neck pain? Um, All of which are really important um, aspects to sort of consider. Um, And we can ask about things like um, myalgias um and joint pains and things like that would be um would be a a useful system systemic question to be to be asking in terms of previous medical history um as you move through the history taking it's really important to establish whether there's been any previous neurological symptoms or conditions diagnosed and that may be somebody who's presenting with headache who has a history of migraine it's an easy assumption to think that the headache is their migraine but actually what you really need to establish is is this your normal pattern of migraine um, and find out the pattern of what they would normally um, find their migraines to be and actually patients who suffer with migraines are very very good at recognising what's normal for them um, and in essence also what's really abnormal Um, and it's quite uncommon particularly from and I keep going back to my perspective from an ED practitioner um, perspective but it's very uncommon to have somebody who attends ED with migraines because actually they're very they're very good at dealing with their migraines and managing them very well so when a patient who's dealt with migraines for years is suddenly presenting it should be a red flag in itself really um, thinking about other conditions such as diabetes I've mentioned um, the lady that I thought was very interesting with her um, single um, neuropathy nerve neuropathy um, but also patients who have a history of hypertension Um, So think about risk factors um, for things like bleeds um, or undiagnosed berry aneurysms in the brain and things like that. Um, And also a consideration for things like AF, um, so regular heartbeats, which might put you at a greater risk in um, in terms of um, producing blood clots um, and stroke. Um, So new new presentations of AF, also known presentations of AF. Um, Medications-wise, I think... You have to be mindful of making sure that you know some of the side effects of the medications that patients are taking, because actually it's, it's, it's one of the ones that, you, again, would be a, an overlook if, if you actually then found the patient um, uh, had attended and it was probably a symptom of their medications. Um, interestingly, um, I've also seen a patient who's attended with um, habitual use of um, uh, metronidazole antibiotic. Um, Insisted that it made his symptoms feel better um, on taking, but actually, as it turned out, the gentleman had been taking it for over five weeks and had bought it over the um, over the internet, um, and had presented with um, feeling off balance, um, feeling confused. All of which are side effects of having too much metronidazole. Um, yeah. So, um, though he presented with clear neurological symptoms, there was a clear cause, even from the history taking, of what potentially could be causing all of this. Um,
0: and strangely, some analgesias can cause headaches as well. And you've um, I've oh, talked absolutely. to neurologists about patients with a headache and they've been taking, you know, aspirin, zapain, uh, ibuprofen, you know, a whole hot mixture of different things. And the neurologist has gone, yeah, this, this might well be...
1: Driving the headache. Driving it or certainly not
0: helping it as well. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose if, if your patient's anticoagulated as well, although it may give them neurology symptoms, it's something to think about as well.
1: Um, a very good call on the um, discussing sort of analgesias so codeine's one of the ones for a chronic headache that's actually really really detrimental Um, but obviously somebody's presenting with severe pain you're wanting to help their pain it seems the obvious choice to go for some form of opiate medications but actually that can really precipitate headaches and and, um, and be driving the driving force for continued headaches so that's a a bit of a yeah one to consider when you're prescribing certainly Um, but also looking at the patient's medications as they're coming in and you mentioned about anticoagulants there um, Jamie so that's obviously a Really um, essential one for us um, to consider it from a perspective of trauma. Um, and there's really specific guidance um, regarding head injuries and those that are anticoagulated from NICE um, on, um, on, on when and how we um, image um, patients and when they require a scan. Um, so that really impacts on the patient's then journey going through, whether they would then require a period of observation admission after they've had um, imaging, even if it's normal. Um, so it's a, it's a huge impact there, so we have to make sure that we're not missing yeah. those parts.
0: Excellent. Um, so shall we...
1: So, um, oh, yeah. so finally yeah, um, yeah. it's just um, a family history um, so thinking about the um the underlying background uh, really important to know if there's any um, neuromuscular disorders within the family history or muscular dystrophies um um, equally, if there's a history of um, family migraine, I know certainly my father and my sister both suffer with migraines. So I've luckily dodged that one. <laughs> um, if there's a history of um, cerebral aneurysm or any sort of venous malformation um, in the family, is um, really um, really important to know. But equally, um, things like um, if there's a history of polycystic kidney disease as well, um, for the, both the patient and um, and their family, because that increases the incidence of, um, of aneurysms
0: also. Um.
1: I think we've covered most things there. Um, So just moving on to the the final few things that we'd asked within the generic history, um, in terms of smoking history, obviously smoking history is so important um, for any presentation because there's so many links to awful diseases um, and... um, uh, it can often be linked back to a patients presentations sadly um, thinking about alcohol so obviously that's a neurotoxin um, again <laughs> see lots of people presenting with alcohol related changes to their their cognition personalities <laughs> um, in ed um, so we're, um, we need to make sure that we're taking a thorough uh, smoking history and a thorough alcohol history um, really important to ask about occupation. Um, more so with people working from home during this COVID pandemic. Um, so people spending lots of time, um, screen time, um, who are presenting with new new headaches. really important to establish if they've changed their pattern of working, if they're spending more time at the screen, if they're getting the regular rest breaks, which we all know that actually you probably won't do when you're at home because you just crack on and you end up spending the whole day sat there looking at one screen. So it's important to know sort of if their pattern's changed at all. Also really important to know whether they've had a recent eye test or if they're due to have an eye test or if they've ever had an eye test um, on whether that could be driving something if it were a headache type presentation Um, and whether there's been the exposure to toxins obviously that's something that could um, also drive any sort of neuro um, neurological signs and neurotoxins as well Um, lastly so just a review of systems it's it's such an important aspect of your history and it's one that often gets forget forgotten um but it's so it's so important because it contains such vital information, which the patient might not ordinarily volunteer because they just don't think it's relevant. Um, but for us, it really can be. So within your systems review, asking about sort of dietary habits, eating, drinking, um, how's your appetite now? Have you been losing weight? Um, in somebody who's presented with a new onset of headaches that are worse in the morning and they've suddenly lost two in weight, would make you really quite concerned that there was something more yeah. sinister underlying that particular headache. Um, if they were having problems passing urine or if they were feeling constipated again that could be something that could present as part of a neurological condition um, and i think i remember a woman presenting um, to ed with new incontinence and behavioral changes um, and was acting really odd. And when they said to her husband, "Is this your wife? Is this, you know, is this the woman you married?" And he said, "Absolutely not, the wife that I married." Um, and he was so worried about her. And she, um, she turned out to have a, um, she'd had a sinusitis that had tracked, so she had a really awful sinus infection of her frontal lobe. Oh wow! Um, uh, which obviously was absolutely devastating. But her main presentation was her confusion and the fact that she'd had urinary changes and was wetting herself.
0: So shall we look at some specific presenting complaints then? And, and you said that headaches were the most common and, and by far away the most common. Um, I'd point out that we, we do have a headache take orally podcast as well for, for people to, to go and have a listen to. Um, so we're not going to go into the super detail, but let, let's touch on headaches now then.
1: Um, so... With regards to headaches, they, they tend to get divided into sort of primary headache and secondary headache causes, um, and um, throughout taking your history, you can start trying to think about where patients would sit in terms of primary and secondary headaches, um, and just as examples of primary headaches, so um, primary headaches are very much the ones that are caused by something going on primarily in the brain, so things like migraines, tension headaches or cluster headaches. So the the key things here would be for somebody who presents with a history of migraine, who describes their typical migraine pattern and their typical migraine, which is relieved by their typical medication, whether <laughs> that be sumatriptan or um, high dose aspirin, um, would lead you to sort of start thinking about primary primary headaches, um, tension headaches. So anybody who's um, uh, had increased um, tension to neck, shoulders um, coming coming up to the head um, uh, increased stress levels all of those things that could uh, potentially drive that and then you've got your classic history of things like cluster headaches um, so worse in the evening and um, they tend to come in bouts and they last for a period of weeks to months at a time and patients often describe it as the worst headache they've ever had, um, that they feel like they just want to bash their head against the wall um, I had a gentleman who attended who said that the only relief he got is if you pressed his space really hard onto the marble worktop in his in his kitchen um, and by the next morning the headache had gone as if it was a phantom <laughs> phantom headache um, but then the next evening, like clockwork, it was there ready to go um, so it's establishing in terms of your periodicity and your time frames of your headaches is, is really helpful from that from that perspective and if we move on to sort of secondary, so so um, primary versus the secondary headaches, the so secondary headaches are caused by sort of external factors um, for um, the poor woman that attended with her new neurology um, with the sinus um, infection that attracts um, so sinus infections is, a, is a, an example of um, secondary headaches um, but there's many many more that are a bit more sinister as well so um, we talked about medications already um, but the more sinister ones have to be things like presentation of meningitis that presents with headache and often there's a um, carousal type symptoms that occur in the sort of days prior to that um, so it's establishing sort of how well the patient's been in the run up to um, to their current condition um, pardon me. Um, in terms of um, traumatic injuries so establishing if there's been any traumatic injury it's always really important because actually it could be a minor bump um, for somebody who's slightly older um, just fell banged their head on the wall um, but they, they're on a, a, an anticoagulant of some form whether it be warfarin or um, a, dox- a doxaban a big um, and they haven't considered the fact that actually they did bang their head three days ago and now they've got a headache and are acting a little bit peculiar <laughs> Um, concussions again, a really common thing that we we see in ED so we see the presenting late of headache um, and um, sometimes we see them coming back afterwards with like a post concussion type syndrome and again it 's getting the time frames of, of how this, um, how, their, how their symptoms started and time frames for each and every one of their symptoms to be able to establish that um, We spoke briefly about tumors as well, so um, sadly one of the ones that you Do diagnose, um, hate diagnosing, Mm. horrible diagnosis for people, Um, but another cause of a headache. Um, I had a really lovely woman who presented um, with um, headache, new onset frontal headache, that wasn't, it was just niggling, it wasn't particularly bothering her, but then she'd noticed that she'd had a change in her sense of smell, so all she could smell were flowers. Yeah. <laughs> so she got the complete changes in her smile she said I can just smell perfume and flowers all the time um, and sadly she'd had a, pres- um, had a, a benign brain tumour diagnosed about 10 years prior um, had been told two months prior that her MRIs were fine actually they were going to discharge her from, their, from their team because she didn't feel they needed to see her anymore but then she presented with this mild headache and this odd sense of smell um, and she was quite interesting because that were her, they were her, her only symptoms and for me with her history, went on to scan her to find that she'd actually developed, in a really short space of time, a um, quite aggressive frontal tuber again. Um, so really, yeah, it's really, really important to establish that, that time frame of previous yeah. history and then what's been happening most recently, because um, even the most subtle signs that might be picked up on systems review yeah. um, uh, can be really, really um, important. Um, and that's, that's, that's great, I think. Um, it'll be really good for people to have a listen to your podcast in terms of um, headaches yeah. and headache pathologies as
0: well. Um, yeah, there's a headache and um, head injury podcasts as well. Um, head injury podcasts for adults and for children. So I think those go into a lot more detail about um, some of the things that we've just been talking about. Um, but obviously, like, the, the red flags for headache, uh, sort of things that are always worth asking about um and so sort of the, the big one is always that the onset isn't it
1: yeah absolutely so um as part of our presenting a plane um, we should be asking the patient whether it was gradual or sudden onset um, so onset um, is is vital, um, and whether that headache um, came on uh, over the course of an hour or whether that headache was at its maximum intensity um, within five minutes, um, really really decides where where you're going to be going in terms of um, their observation, their imaging. Um. A CT for instance, but sudden onset headaches, um, absolute red flag. Um, So establishing that time frame is essential within your neurological history. Um, Alongside that, any headache presenting with collapse in itself is a red flag, okay, Um, and um, would make you wonder about um, certain presentations such as subarachnoid hemorrhage, which often come with other presenting symptoms too. Too. headaches that are worse on walking or posturing so you're sort of bending down um, people that are saying like, you know I've got this awful headache it's been there for three days and every time I bend down to tie my shoelace it's it's so intense it's horrendous um, would make, make you think, or headaches that are worse than when somebody wakes up in the morning, um, also would make you think about sort of raised intracranial pressures um, as, a, as a cause of that headache, and then what could be underlying those raised intracranial pressures, and whether that's a blockage of your um, cerebrospinal fluid leaving the brain going to the spinal cord, or indeed if there is a, a form of mass or tumour that could be causing, causing that um, also. Um, really important to ask patients who have a previous medical history of um, things like VP shunt. Um, to ask around sort of when those were changed and um, have they had problems with them previously and do you think they could be blocked and um, establishing that history is very very important. Um, so definitely a red flag, any headache that's worse if people are stooping down headaches in the morning, every morning that are most intense in the morning after laying down um, would be um, concerning. Um, we spoke about something that we tend to ask within our um, um, systems review really, but associated weight loss is always a red flag and to be honest it's kind of a red flag in any of the histories that we're taking is it's never a good time when somebody's suddenly losing weight and i've just lost two stone in the space of a month um it's always going to be a red flag and something that would be underlying that potentially um but alongside that is to think about night sweats um so somebody who said that they're waking up every night because they've soaked the sheets through and having to change the bedding um, again is a red flag um and then any sort of focal neurology so somebody who's presenting saying i can't move (laughs) my right arm and i can't feel it either it's like it's not part of my body that in itself is going to be a risk. so focal neurology um is really important or indeed my lady who said my smells really weird um we are, in, we are in the uh, day and age of uh, coronavirus where people oh, may be presenting saying, I've got anosmia, I can't tell anything. Um, so I guess there's some other external, <laughs> yeah. external diagnoses that we need to consider too. Within our history, so we're, if we just talk a little bit about weaknesses, so, um, I think it's important for us clinicians to really establish what the patient's symptoms are and how they're experiencing it, but then also what we are seeing during our examination. Now, this is focusing on history this session, obviously, and we will talk about um, the clinical examination findings on our future podcast, um, but really thinking about um, paresis um, or plegias um, and, how they, and how they see it. So if a patient, for instance, was saying that oh, all my limbs aren't moving, um, then we'd be thinking about quadriplegias. Um, if both limbs, so lower limbs, weren't moving or they're having difficulty and weakness, so those would be thinking about paraplegias, so no movement of the lower limbs at all. Um, hemiplegias, so a really common presentation for strokes, um, would be one side not moving, so that could be arm and leg, or a monoplegia, so just one limb affected. Um, so again, just thinking about the precision of language um, is really important. Cool.
0: And of course into that comes our fast mnemonic that everybody knows about. It's so I think a big this is, NHS yeah. campaign, if you remember for a few years ago on T V.
1: So I think public health really push, didn't they? Um, and like you say, the NHS campaign um, for um, people recognising the um, the symptoms of stroke, and they, they use the mnemonic FAST, didn't they? So the face: have you got any facial weakness um, uh, either side? Um, do you have any arm weakness? Again, that can be leg weakness. Um, thinking about that, and then thinking if there's any changes to the speech at all, uh, and that can be slurring, like I said, of the speech, or it can be difficulty finding words, yeah. or the pattern of speech changing. Um, and then time: so the time of onset. Um, And the reason we really focus on time of onset um, is that we're thinking about Ongoing treatments to try and um, save brain matter really. um, When it comes to things like stroke, Um, so the golden hour is what we talk about um, when 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 patients are presenting initially. Um, And from our perspective in A and E, if we see somebody who's presented with stroke within four hours, we'd want to get them to a a stroke specialist unit to be able to have the the optimal treatment um, for for what they're presenting with really.
0: Excellent. Uh, cool, so um, we touched on uh loss of consciousness and syncope as well again there is already a, a transient loss of consciousness podcast I would um, absolutely
1: recommend listening to that podcast um, with because myself is,
0: and Don Pennell
1: it's a huge topic uh, within itself and I um, uh, and I know that it, it, it you know you need to dedicate a bit of time to sort of understand syncopes and have a real understanding yeah. of how to risk stratify people attending with syncopes because there's so many reasons why people could attend so top five causes would be things like arrhythmia um, uh, hypovolemia of any cause um, or the static type hypertension for us from a neurological perspective we're concerned about seizure um, but then you can think about things like hypoglycemia as one of the top causes for it as well Um, again if your brain doesn't have enough glucose then you're not going to function normally Um, and then vasovale being a, a a very common presentation for syncope, but that that in itself is an entire whole topic, and it I would is, recommend listening to the listening to the podcast and also doing some reading around syncope <laughs> and transient loss of consciousness as well. Yeah,
0: I mean, you can uh, you can shake while you're having an episode of syncope um, if your brain isn't being perfused at that moment. Yeah, if you're absolutely. being sat up too soon, etc., etc. So somebody will come in and oh, I've had a seizure, I've had a seizure, and but uh, actually, when you explore it, it doesn't sound like a seizure. But um, that's kind of crucial isn't it the the pre the, the prodrome that the, the the patient has beforehand feeling i'm gonna go
1: i feel a bit hot i feel, I feel a, bit a bit sweaty, hot, sweaty. I feel a bit <laughs> sick. sick
0: um something's provoked me it's a hot day i'm wearing three layers oh, uh, yeah. i'm stood on <laughs> in church or on parade uh something like that
1: and somebody helpfully sat me on a chair but didn't yeah. lie me down yeah and absolutely. then i started twitching
0: yeah um and posture <laughs> yeah my, my head was above my heart basically so um you can you can have a vasovagal whilst sat uh, as long as your head is above your heart you can have a vasovagal. absolutely um, Yeah. Um,
1: you mentioned about the um, really important when it comes to syncopes, um and very much so when it comes to seizures thinking about what's happened in three parts so the pre um, the during and the post um, yeah. and the reason that we like to really establish that time frame and it's quite important to, to hopefully if you've got somebody there to be able to witness it to be able to give that information because actually if somebody's had a true seizure then actually during that period they actually won't be able to give no. you that history um, so some Sometimes people will describe that they've got an aura. Um, I've had patients say that they, um, one particular gentleman had, um, he, everything turned green. So he had a colour aura, so everything wow. turned ge- green before he then went on to have a seizure. Um, so that was. Helpful. Some people describe that they've um, they have changing smell So often, what they metallic do is they have yeah metallic taste it. in their mouth. So that they um, they actually have that warning and can lay themselves in a safe position on the floor. And obviously, you've got the uh, the the, uh, the dogs, haven't you? The yeah, guide dogs. The yeah, they're amazing.
0: Medical dogs. The medical dogs who
1: can uh, who can pick up when somebody's going to have a seizure and get them to into a place safely. Absolutely amazing. Love <laughs> a dog. Um, in terms of what we would then sort of want to know um, it's during phase or. Um, uh, often sorry just a, as a pre sometimes um, patients will have a shriek as well um, so sometimes they do this sort of um, yeah. pre shriek prior to seizure as well just to ask around um, but during it, you may, um, people may describe sort of limb jerking and that's really different from twitching um, and it's a really rhythmical jerking of either yeah. the arms and the legs um, often the eyes are completely rolled back so it's important to ask about eye position so eyes roll back um, sometimes what they say is there was blood coming out of the mouth was lots of sputum and that can be from tongue biting. Yeah.
0: um
1: so important to sort of just establish if there's any sort of secretions there if there was any incontinence now incontinence is a funny one because actually it can happen when you're when if you have syncope so actually yeah. it's not uncommon in syncope as well nope. um, so important to ask so inc- <laughs> incontinence is really important to ask about yeah in terms of um the post-phase, um, that's when it becomes really vital to us, that information. Yeah. So in, th- in terms of syncope, what you'll see is that somebody recovers very quickly, is able to sit up, um, uh, with caution of sitting them up too soon, obviously, but certainly that they were able to sit up fairly quickly and they're coherent and they understand that they've had a faint or they've landed
0: on the floor and Why, they know where I they are. The and I know yeah. who that person
1: is next to me. That's my wife, and happy with me because she says that I've had too much to drink yeah. um, so you can have a really clear time frame there. post phase is when the patient doesn't recall anything so often when I see a patient who's presented either with first seizure or known seizures is that they will describe um, not feeling quite right and then waking up in an ambulance and having no recollection of that yeah. at all and they could have been um, um, out of their seizure for 20 minutes or so um, and it's only then that they start to get yeah. some recollection of what's happened. So, sort of 15, 20 minutes after post seizure, um, they can be um, unresponsive at that phase. So, the jerking can stop. Um, they could have been incontinent, um, and they make a lot, a lot of noise or sort of breathing noises. And sometimes need support with their sort of airway and their breathing. Um, and they can often have lots of secretions um, and snoring lots. Um, uh, often, I mean, I mean we talked about incontinence, but I've had people who've um, have then had lost control of the bowels and things as well because there's just no there's no control there in that post postictal phase either. Um, so just um, just to be mindful of, of what the history is there, and like I say, it's, the most important thing is a collateral if you can possibly get one.
0: You will find sometimes people have handily got their phone out and videoed their friend on the floor rather than. Jumping in and holding. <laughs> but I think that's it's actually quite useful, though. Um,
1: Interestingly, though, that's something that's recommended, isn't it? It is so actually. It I don't
0: know, it feels a bit strange, but yeah, it is. Uh, and um, again, there is a seizure podcast as well, so please have a listen to that. Um, and on to Vertigo, of which there is also a podcast um, which um, is useful to have a listen to. But yeah, Vertigo, the sensation of movement, the world spinning, being on a ship.
1: White yeah, yeah. headedness. Yeah. So um, patients present, and they, again, they use very different terminology. So it's really important to establish what they're actually experiencing. You may have to ask several questions to really establish whether it's something that I
0: felt giddy. I came over all queer. I had a funny turn. Funny dude. Funny do. I, funny I felt wacky. That's the thing around I here felt in Nottingham. <laughs> Nottingham I felt wappy, That's in Nottingham. I felt a bit wappy. Yeah. Come into the area. That was the thing I had to learn.
1: Wacky. Wacky duck. <laughs> had a funny do (laughs) um so dizziness it's really vertigo is a really hard presentation I mean there's so many again you've got a um a podcast on um vertigo is that right yeah um me and Chris really important to establish um whether the room was spinning if they felt slightly lightheaded if they were feeling off balance with it um to and establish that time frame of how long that was lasting if they're having recurrent episodes of it if it was made worse by movement um if it was better if they sat still so all of those things it's really really important to get the time frames of that but again I would absolutely listen to the vertigo podcast that goes alongside this really um as part of our absolutely as part of this as part of the early clinical experience series um because it just gives you that, that moving to expert um, uh, information really and, and just develops you as a practitioner. Sweet.
0: And finally, confusion. I mean, you already talked there about collateral, a bit harder in the time of COVID when relatives may not be with the patient, but to sort of, if you want to, to do a mini mental with the patient, see are they orientated, get a collateral as well
1: mm.
0: and, and get that idea of normal for them.
1: Um, I think it's being mindful of that some patients will completely confabulate as they, well and they do
0: it really well um,
1: and so you've got a beautiful history of, of what they say has happened and they've been on the bus and they were going out for the day and they went out lunch and da 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 and they'll give you an entire amazing sounds like a great day and then they've had this collapse episode once you actually get a history from either their you know their family member or a carer it turns out they haven't left the house it's all happened inside the house yeah. um and you feel completely misled um yeah. so it's just really important that collateral history is really important especially when it comes to things like confusion because whilst somebody might say i feel, i just feel a bit muddled at the moment i have done for the last week and it turns out they've got a raging uti <laughs> um that actually sometimes that confusion can lead to them well lead you up the garden path so just make sure that you're not caught out um with a completely fabricated history through no fault with a patient of their own (laughs) um by not by by not doing the obvious things of of getting your collateral history really um so that kind of brings our um, neurological history taking to a close brilliant Um, thanks very much for your time jamie
0: no it's good job as um, i'm about to run out of battery so we've done very well there uh thank you very much lucy